tyranny of the urgent. Have you ever heard that expression? Tyranny of the urgent would have been a good title for my life last fall. I just returned a couple weeks ago from, um, this is last year I had returned from Cape Town, from Lausanne Congress with Hanno and Carson, and I was a couple weeks behind in my schoolwork. Um, if I had to sum up the future concerns of my life at that point, it's basically holding on to my job at the prep school, finishing seminary, and paying my monthly Amex bill. Well, this, this all turned upside down one Saturday morning with a lisp. I woke up, it was actually November 20th, I remember um, we had released the kids at the boarding school the day before for Thanksgiving break, and this was like the first morning since I, I, I could remember that I, I had a decent night's sleep. And um, I looked at the alarm clock and I just figured to myself, you know, like most days, this will just be another day that I don't have time for devotionals. I gotta catch up on my, my schoolwork. So um, I moved over to my desk, pushed my Bible to the side, broke out my Hebrew text, and began drilling vocab. But something was different this morning. I realized the words weren't coming out right. Um, I sounded like Cindy Brady. I had this terrible lisp. So I, um, I figured, well, I'll just take a break. So I made myself some breakfast. And um, as I was finishing, I was, as I was cleaning out the left side of my, my mouth with my tongue, um, actually, I couldn't move my tongue beyond my canine tooth. Um, and I realized something was wrong. So the next evening, I, I shared my concern with a friend who happened to be a doctor at Mass General. And uh, she had me stick out my tongue. She said, Jeff, it's, it's coming out crooked. It's like you've got the, the Rolling Stones tongue. Something's wrong. So um, she just said, promise me tomorrow you'll go to the emergency room um, at Brigham and Women's. I know the person who's overseeing the, the MRI scan there. And um, I want to make sure you're checked out. It's probably nothing, but I just want to make sure. So the next morning, um, I avoided two of her phone calls. And finally, the third phone call I picked up, and I agreed you know, I'd go down. So I, um, you know, I just figured this will be another wasted afternoon. And I didn't even bother taking out my contacts. I didn't even bring my, my glass case with me. I just basically packed up my Hebrew, um, jumped into the car, and headed down. Well, the next morning, I woke up in the neurology ward at Brigham and Women's Hospital. And um, the, uh, the morning nurse attendant actually threw out my contacts that are in two little um, cups uh, filled with saline. So at this point, it's like I'm underwater. And um, I know for those of you who've been to a hospital, um, you realize that you don't go to the hospital to get rest. Um, they wake you up really early. So this is early in the morning, and um, they have their what's called morning rounds, where you basically have the, um, the attending physician surrounded by the fellows, the, um, uh, the interns, the uh, med school students. Basically, everyone goes around from patient to patient, and they talk about each patient, their status, and then they go in and say a few kind words to them. Um, and I, I don't know if, if they realized this, but lying there in the bed, I could hear every word they were saying outside. So they come to me, and um, I knew it was me because in, in the neurology ward, basically everyone, every other person there had some form of um, stroke. So I'm like the youngest guy there by like 15 years. And uh, they give my birth date, and the next thing I hear is um, something like clival mass and on motor neuron 12. And then they listed about five or six words that ended in OMA lymphoma, sarcoma, myeloma, chordoma, and at this point my eyes are just popping out of my head. And uh, the next thing, there are like 10 blobs enter the room, white blobs and, and coats, white coats. And uh, they surround my bed and uh, I remember asking them, you know, Will, 
will I ever regain the use of my tongue? And um, one of the physicians said, you know, it's based on the scans, that uh, glossal nerve that, that controls the left side of your tongue, it's been pushed off its track. It's just, you know, it's, it's very highly unlikely it will ever um, go back to normal. And, uh, you know, nerves just don't heal themselves. So um, as they start filing out, I think the youngest guy there came to my bedside and said, you know, by the way, would you mind signing this? It's just a waiver for us to do an HIV test on you. So um, you know, after he left, I, just, I remember picking up my Hebrew textbook and um, placing it inside my book bag, walking over to the shower, turning it on, and just um, praying and crying and crying and crying and praying pleading with God, pleading with him, over and over. Um, and then eight days later, that same young physician came into my room. This time, I had a Bible open up on my lap. It's, um, it's amazing how facing death can change your priorities. And um, he said to me, Jeff, you know, we, um, we're all, you know, we were all set for your, um, we were going to finish the, my treatment. Um, this is the last thing they needed to do. They were going to do a biopsy. Um, but before we do this biopsy, we're going to postpone about five hours. We want to wait for your multiple myeloma exam to come back because multiple myeloma is basically cancer spread out throughout your body. If it comes out positive, you know, there's no sense in us doing a, a biopsy. So um, he left, you know, and, and basically just said, you know, if, if an attendant comes and takes you down in five hours, then you don't have to worry. So um, the next five hours were possibly, I mean, was definitely the most intense morning devotional of my life. And um, when the attendant finally did come and take me down, I remember the nurses in the um, diagnostic center in the radiology department were fighting over me. They had never seen a patient so happy to have a biopsy. So I'm like, I'm actually conscious during the whole thing. Um, they had a radiologist actually take a pin, insert it just above my cheek, through a duct, and went all the way down to the base of my skull. and. Uh, the first time he didn't get it. Um, and so he had to actually go back in a second time. And I knew he got it the second time when I heard behind the glass wall everyone cheering. So, you know, this was great. Now we would know for sure what was wrong with me. So two weeks later, I'm called into the head neurosurgeon's office at Brigham and Women's. And um, he just said to me, Jeff, you know, we just, we simply didn't get enough tissue to make a diagnosis. Um, you know, you have two options basically at this point. We can try the needle biopsy again, which I doubt it will get enough tissue, or we can go for an open school-based surgery, um, in which case what I propose we do is, you know, I would cut from behind your ear all the way down, almost to your chin, and um, we'll just remove all the, um, the infected tissue, all the, um, the infected bone. Um, and as a matter of fact, I'd lost so much bone already, and he would have to remove so much more that by the end of the operation, he said, what we need to do is take a, a rod, a metal rod, and fuse it to your spine, just keep your, your skull in place. Um, but thank God, my friend of mine at Mass General had organized a, a team of physicians to shadow me the entire time I was there. So they brought me over for a second opinion, and um, their suggestion was, let's, let's go for another biopsy. This time, um, we're gonna be a bit more invasive, because um, we need more tissue. Um, what they, they suggested doing was teaming me up with a neurosurgeon and an ENT specialist. Either go through my nose or go through my mouth um, to get to the bottom of my skull. Um, the only problem was there was about a one in five chance 
that they would have to puncture my palate in order to get down there. Um, if they couldn't flip it back, they'd have to break it through, which would mean that in addition to my lisp, I would have a, a whiny nasal sound um, for the rest of my life, and I would have continual outflow from my nose. So I remember sitting down with the ENT surgeon and, and having a talk about this. This guy probably had the worst bedside manners in the world. Um, and I'm just saying, you know, I, I've been at seminary, you know, these past few years, and you understand how this is so hard for me. You know, I'm, I'm training to preach, and um, he looked at me, and he's like, you know, it, it sucks for you. But hey, you know, you know we, we need to make a diagnosis. Now, if you wouldn't mind just signing this waiver. And, you know, I was just like, you know, what do you do? So I, I signed it. But um, each day after, I just felt more and more convicted that I had made a mistake. You know, how could I let control of my life um, into this guy's hands? How could I just yield everything over to him like that? Um, and it was actually a couple days before the operation I called in. And um, I spoke with the ENT surgeon. I said, look, you know, I want to I wanna rescind that waiver. I don't want you guys puncturing my palate. You know, I want to I try another needle-based biopsy. And um, I could hear the sigh on the other end of the phone. And uh, he just said, look, you know, the consensus here is that you've got an aggressive form of cancer. And the longer you push this thing off, the less likely your chances for a successful outcome. You know, we, we can try the needle-based biopsy again, but chances are if it didn't work the first time, it's not going to work the second. And, um, you know, we're looking at losing another two to three weeks. So the choice is yours, but I need to know by this, you know, later this afternoon. So I, t I promised that I'd call him by four. And um, I remember getting on my knees and just praying to God, crying out, you know, God, you sent me here to seminary. You know, um, you know, this is, you know, this is your call. This is your call on my life. It's not mine. Um, you know, this is your, your body. It's not my body. Um, you know, if, if it's your will that I suffer, um, then help me to do so as a Christian. And um, it took me about an hour to get to that point. Um, and then I got back up and I called the ENT surgeon. I just told him, I trust your judgment. You know, if you find it's necessary to break through my palate, then I give you permission to cut through my palate. And that night, I remember, um, I could feel the cancer chewing through my bone in the back of my head. Um, it was so painful, I had to call up my oncologist and have her fax over some um, pain meds to uh, the local CVS. And um, so I actually was looking forward to this operation when it finally came. And uh, I remember the morning of the operation, I, I asked for the ENT surgeons that they, they were preparing for me. And um, he finally came, and I just said, you know, Dr. Soon, so I just, I, I want to apologize for being such a pain in the neck patient. Um, please understand that, that God is just teaching me that I'm not in control. And I remember there was a silence. And um, just before they put me under, the anesthesiologist leaned over and whispered to me, Jeff, none of us are in control. And um, that's the last thing I remembered. Um, I hope they don't say that to everyone now. <laughs> But, um, and then I remember coming to, um, it was a two-hour operation that actually took four. And uh, I remember coming to, just sitting straight up in my, my bed, just repeating the Our Father over and over again. And I was so happy, you know, my palate was still in place. And um, 
and you know finally you know we would have a diagnosis and you know basically what made this like so great was in addition to getting enough tissue to make a diagnosis it was enough tissue to actually make some room for my nerve my glossal nerve to heal itself this took over a period of about 12 weeks so even today once I wasn't able to move it past my canine teeth now I can move it past my wisdom teeth on both sets of my head so they had the tissue and they had a diagnosis I have or I had a very deadly form of cancer known as sarcoma normally sarcoma appears in the outer limbs but this one was at the base of my skull and they had a tumor board an interdisciplinary tumor board meet at MGH to decide what to do with this thing and they decided collectively that surgery was out of the question they're just too many cranial there are too many core nerves around the tumor and to actually remove it all would would probably end up damaging like six of them so we're talking about loss of sight loss of hearing the inability to swallow it just went on and on and on so that was ruled out instead they decided what was best would be to give me the highest dose of radiation over the longest period possible so they decided to give me eight weeks of radiation a mix of general radiation which kind of is like you know napalming it in addition to proton radiation which is like a laser beam approach to killing cancer so as far as side effects were concerned this was actually pretty tough they told me that it was almost inevitable that I would end up losing that nerve again it just it was right in the fire zone and there's no way that it could stand up under eight weeks of direct proton radiation you know as far as the prognosis they basically laid out three possibilities the radiation could kill the cancer completely it could slow its growth or it could do nothing as far as a probability percent wise there was none I had such a rare form of cancer in such a rare location with a relatively new form of treatment the way the specialist the sarcoma specialist put it was you know it's only with time looking back you know two three years that we'll know whether we'll have an idea of whether we have this thing under control control you know in whose hands is this anyhow you know is this under my control is this really under the doctor's control control or the illusion of control has been a continual theme it's been a continual struggle for me throughout this trial letting go what I found is letting go and trusting in God's control it's not like a one-time event it's not just a desperate prayer from the shower or signing off on a waiver letting go and trusting God's control it's a decision that we make every single day some of the toughest challenges in my treatment actually came toward the end over that course of eight weeks I got to meet a lot of children actually the first thing that struck me when I went to the proton center is cancer is not an old person's disease you know there are people from every stage of life and there were just a horde of kids there and I became very close to several of them one was was a little girl three years old and I still remember her last day at the proton center I mean I'll never forget it she was all dressed up in a little white dress and she was just so happy she was so proud you know they had finally fixed the boo-boo on her head and she'd get to ring the bell and her whole family was there and 
I was just looking at this little girl and not a hair on her head, her face completely purple and pink from the, the exit wound of the radiation. Actually went from her face all the way down to the back of her head. And, um, you know, I just kept on asking why, you know? How do you, how do you explain that one, seminarian? And then um, two days before my, my treatment was completed, um, a very close friend of mine I ended up um, losing, which, um, which really shook me worse than, than anything else. I mean, at that point, you know, I had nightmares, I had fever, pains in the back of my head, but I had never lost a night of sleep during that entire period. Um, and after that, for the next two days, I didn't get a wink of sleep. And I remember staring up at the ceiling in my bed just over and over again going through my mind, you know, how, how could I have saved this person? And then the third big event, of course, is the, the three-month review. After they completed the radiation, you go back in three months and they take a look and see, you know, had this thing you know, killed the cancer? Is it, is, does it appear frozen? Um, has it slowed its growth or, you know, done nothing? So I went back and um, it was actually a great day. Uh, I mean, the, the, the MRI PET scan was, was awful. It was very uncomfortable, but the news that I got after it was just so good. The doctor told me, Jeff, you know, this is the best news you could have asked for, you know, there, it, it hasn't grown at all. This thing appears for now at least to be frozen. And then three days later I was called back to the, um, the head oncologist's office and she shared with me, you know, we found a cluster of cells up on the top of your head that have us a little concern. We want you to come back in a month. Um, we don't want you to put off any longer. And um, you know, if it appears to have grown at all, we're going to do another biopsy. And I'm just like sitting there and um, I just get this sick feeling in my stomach. It's like, you know, you finished a race, you know, only to look up and see, you know, you're crossing the starting line. Um, so to echo Mark's question from last week, where do you turn? You know, where are you going to turn? Um, this is a question that I struggle with. Um, it's a question that resonates with me because this is the question of the hour for me. This is the question of my life. Where are you going to turn? And if I can, I'd just like to share a few words of what God has been teaching me. Um, the most important lesson that I've learned through this trial, and I'm still learning, is that I, I gain peace in my trials when I can see the nail-pierced hands that control them. What do I mean by that? I mean, I'm able to embrace God's control. I'm able to embrace His control over all of my life to the extent that I can see his passionate love for me, his extravagant love. Um, and so you and I, we, I believe that we gain peace and freedom in our trials when we're able to see those nail-pierced hands that control them. And to be honest, I don't know how much time I have, um, but I do know that if I do die, um, you know, Christ's nail-pierced hands have me covered. Um, and I do know that one day, I will, this is m my hope, you know, the marks, all the marks of my suffering will be gone. You know, there will be no more nausea, no more pain, no more fever, um, and no more ulcers, no more bone loss, no more hearing loss. Um, but I know that Jesus in his perfection now and forever will always bear the marks and the memory of his suffering for me.
this is my hope. You know, it's, it's the hope of the resurrection. A resurrection that's been purchased and insured by Jesus' suffering, by his death and his resurrection. You know, this, this is my hope. You know, my hope is one day I'll see Jesus face to face and I'll be able to touch his hands. I'll be able to touch the wounds that he took for me. You know, the wounds that he took that saved me. You know, and this is the truth for all of us. Sooner or later, each one of us is going to face a Category 5 trial. You know, you're going to face... Um, a Category 5 trial is going to enter your life. And so where are you going to turn? You know, whether, whether it's with upraised hands, with a clenched fist, I implore you to turn to God. You know, just when you do turn to Him, take the time to behold the one you're looking at, the one that you're addressing. You know, take time to behold the one you're speaking to. Those wounds, those wounds in His hands were taken for your healing. The Father's arms are open wide, and you're welcome to come in. I've been asked to share with you how, how you can pray for me. Um, and I, first, I just want to thank my community group for their continued prayers, and for many others for your, your prayers throughout this trial. But I basically just have three prayer requests. Um, the first is that God would completely eradicate this cancer from my body, and along with it, every ounce of worry in my heart. Um, and the second request is similar to the first, um, that, that I would truly learn to trust God through this trial, and that as a result, I would live a life that, that just reflects peace and joy. And my last prayer request is simply that when God does bring me through this and heals me of this cancer, that I wouldn't forget him, you know, that Christ would remain first in my heart. Thank you.